as this virus continues to ravage the world. The outbreak spreads. The new coronavirus may be the first pandemic in recent memory to shut down the world. How do we financially recover from the catastrophic effects of a pandemic that has gripped the planet? COVID-19 has wreaked economic havoc and caused historic levels of unemployment around the world. The financial impact? It will likely end up costing between $8.1 and $15.8 trillion globally. In this two-part series presented by King's College London, we explore an innovative and disruptive solution to the economic crisis caused by COVID-19, a financial bailout for the everyday household. Recovery from COVID-19 starts with the household. This disruptive new idea is based on the findings from a leading group of experts from King's College, SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies, and Cardiff University in Britain. They had research funded by the Economic and Social Studies Research Council to investigate how to build trust in economic institutions, which allowed them to look at the economy in a new way. This study of the household became more urgent when the coronavirus began to spread. In this podcast, you'll learn why the economic recovery from COVID-19 starts with the household. In the context of COVID-19, we bring together a group of experts to explain why this time we need to bail out households, not banks. How can families recover from this economic tsunami? Dr. Jonna Montgomery, reader in international political economy at King's College, and the principal investigator of opening up the black box of the household. The coronavirus pandemic made visible the economy in a new way, as the millions of connections between people as they go out to work and buy everyday goods and services. The economy is just human activity. The mundane routines of going to work, buying groceries, dropping the kids at school, um, and meeting with your friends, all of these transactions make up the larger macroeconomy. When people caught COVID-19, so did the economy. To understand how to financially recover from COVID-19, we need to start at the front door of the household. The household is a black box to government policymakers. Gary Dimsky is professor of applied economics at the Leeds University Business School. The household is the main consumption unit. It's the main vehicle for people to channel their income into either savings or consumption. And as such, uh, the decisions that households make about how to use their money is the fuel that feeds into the aggregate demand that is the edifice on which the economy is built. If the household have less income, then they're necessarily going to have less money to spend, and that will create a situation in which they'll have to choose between uh, things that are more and less important. However, as we go into recovery, we're going to need basically for those firms that have shut down their operations to be willing and able to go back to work, to, to open up, to renew their provision of it could be fish and chips, or it could be, you know, dietary services, or it could be uh, steel or automobiles or any of the other many, many components uh, and, and products that are, you know, characterize the modern economy. And for, for those firms to do that, they've got to be confident that they've got demand. And there's where the household sits at the center of this. It's really going to be households whose willingness and ability to spend and to spend our way out of this 
will renew the normal flows of expenditures, income, savings, taxation, etc., that characterize a, a sort of normal times modern economy. According to the IMF, the COVID-19 pandemic is inflicting high and rising human costs worldwide, and the necessary protection measures are severely impacting economic activity. As a result of the pandemic, the global economy is projected to contract sharply by minus 3% in 2020, much worse than during the 2008-2009 financial crisis. As in the past, financial bailouts have been associated with large firms and not for small households. Now more than ever, it's time to rethink that go-to strategy and reimagine a new road to recovery. Dr. Jonah Montgomery. To financially recover from COVID-19 means thinking about the economy in a totally different way. Looking back in the more recent past of financial crisis, starting with the East Asian crisis in 1997, the dot-com crash in 2001, and more recently, the 2008 global financial crisis, it is clear the pattern of response packages offered by governments and coordinated with central banks. It involves drastically cutting interest rates to provide a whole market bailout, which makes credit cheap. And the next is to design ever more generous bailout packages for distressed debts and assets. Crisis response measures direct all government intervention at large firms and important sectors, like the financial sector. And this is a sensible approach because like in 2008, the crisis originates in failing firms and overleveraged and unstable markets. However, what we're finding is that every financial crisis is bigger than the last, and the bailouts are getting more expensive. Today, interest rates are their lowest in history, and central banks have expanded their balance sheets to previously unimaginable levels. Many of the countries worst hit by the 2008 global financial crisis had yet to even properly recover economically before the pandemic began in the beginning of 2020. And with 2020 not even over, these same countries have already far surpassed their peak bailout funds for the entire response to 2008, and the pandemic is not even close to being over. Gary Dimsky is Professor of Applied Economics at the Leeds University Business School. As we move into the post-COVID recovery, or even in the current crisis, the models that guide policymakers' thinking are very abstract, simplified models. The reasons why they're simplified is that the economists, for reasons best known to uh, their sort of commitment to equilibrium-based thinking, these models are very stripped down, very simple. So this very simple model only, in a sense, permits a vision of a representative household beyond this black box where you know we really don't think about what's in there. We know that there's a world of experience. The fact of the matter is the ability of people to get to work, to be effective, to be productive, and all of that depends on the overall health and ability to reproduce itself of every household. And so many households have so many different structures. So there's a problem. We need to kind of drill down into the particularities of households to really understand what's happening. Treating the household as a black box is an overly simplistic view of the economy that makes government policymakers blind to the impact of COVID-19 now and over the long term. Sarah Stefano. 
lecturer in economics at SOAS University of London. The imposition of lockdowns has caused dramatic changes in our lives. An important one has been the concentration of various kinds of work in the home. Households have been placed at the center of the early responses to the pandemic, but the consequences of this shift have not been experienced equally. Um, those with spacious houses, low care needs, and able to perform their jobs from home were less negatively impacted than those with poor housing conditions, high care needs, and unable to work from home. What is going on inside the households is also important. The relationships between members of the household shape how care and work responsibilities are shared. Those with more care responsibilities, typically women, are likely to have experienced the most severe constraints in the organization of daily life and work. But some renegotiation between women and men may have taken place during the lockdowns, as some early evidence suggests, but we need to know more about this. In general, this means that COVID-19 intervenes on existing inequalities, both across and within households. The central role of the household in the economy has become starkly visible during the pandemic, but in fact, it is a systemic feature of contemporary economies. Where years of policies of privatization and austerity have reduced the public provision of social services, and households have become primarily responsible for their own well being. The COVID 19 pandemic represents one of the most significant threats to public health and global stability in a generation. Since 1980, More than 12,000 documented infectious disease outbreaks have disrupted the lives of tens of millions of people around the world. How could we have been so unprepared for an outbreak that seems so inevitable? And now, how do we focus on financially recovering from COVID-19? Dr. Jonna Montgomery. We need to start with the relationships between households. For example, are they care-based, like sharing childcare with family members? or the care of an elderly parent or a sick family member. On the other hand, are the relationships between households primarily economic, like those between the cleaner, the landscaper, the nanny, the dog walker, the hairdresser, or even the mortgage broker with their client? These economic connections between households have been hugely disrupted by the pandemic. And it is these millions of small connections which act like drops of rain that gather together in a compressed time period And they do so to make an economic tsunami that can crash the entire global economy. Incomes have been severely affected by the pandemic. But this is not completely captured by government unemployment figures, which are sky high but exclude how small business owners and self-employed people have been affected by the economic downturn in the same way as the formerly employed. Incomes have been hit hard, and looking to the future, no one is certain income levels will be restored to pandemic levels. Taking a deeper look at the effect on households gives us a more accurate snapshot of the effect COVID-19 has had and continues to have on the economy. Thousands of servers, bartenders, and hospitality workers are finding themselves without work right now. Businesses, big and small, forced to close. The disease, not officially as COVID-19, has spread to here in Europe, the Americas, and beyond. And now with all our economies so closely intertwined, 
industries of all shapes and sizes are feeling the effects wherever they are. From a household perspective, income is just money in, whether that comes in the form of full-time or part-time employment, or whether it's self-employment, a pension check, or just cash-in-hand work. For most people, the amount of money coming in has been drastically reduced. More worryingly, many households do not know when more money will start coming in again. Let's start with the household as a budget sheet or the cash flowing in and out with Ryan Davey, lecturer at Cardiff University School of Social Sciences. My research is with debt advisors. I've spoken to a group of debt advisors online during the lockdown. And when I've spoken to them, they've told me that things are eerily quiet at the moment, like the calm before a storm. As these state-based and charity-based organisations helping households in economic trouble have tried to adjust to virtual working, they've also noticed a lull in people seeking help after an initial flurry when the lockdown began. Evictions and debt enforcement bans have put any immediate threat on hold for five months. Along with the furlough scheme and support for self-employed people, these measures aimed to stave off the immediate effects of the lockdown on households. But what happens when these measures are lifted? What will we see when households are no longer protected? Many households are on a cliff edge of financial difficulty and distress. As current emergency measures draw to a close, existing financial fragilities and social inequalities will become visible. You can compare homeowners and renters. Homeowners have been given extended protections with mortgage holidays for up to six months. But the interest is still accruing and sometimes balloon payments are due. Meanwhile, renters who have avoided evictions will face bailiff action and eviction from late August. The emergency measures have helped out many people, but new solutions are now urgently needed to deal with the financial strain of the pandemic. Importantly, we must avoid those who are already living on low or insecure incomes from shouldering the longer-term costs of COVID-19. After taxation, household debt repayment is the biggest claim on household income. Dr. Jonna Montgomery. But even before the pandemic struck, Anglo-American household debt levels had far surpassed the peaks reached just before the 2008 global financial crisis for both mortgage and consumer debts. Under lockdown, many households used deferral of debt payments to temporarily cope with the reduction in income, but these measures were only temporary. Opening the black box of the household would give a clearer picture of the scale and scope of financial insecurity created by COVID-19. We know the household is not just a financial balance sheet. It is a set of relationships or connections between people. There are care relationships configured to provide for the working population, but also children and the elderly, those unable to work. At a time of mass infection and illness, it is these care relationships that are necessary to combat the spread of the coronavirus, but also essential for the care of the millions of people who fall sick with COVID-19, told to stay at home, to self-isolate and quarantine. But what home is, is different for so many people. The coronavirus is dominating the lives of everyone, and its history is constantly being rewritten. As the health and human toll grows, the economic damage is already evident and represents the largest economic shock the world has experienced in decades. According to the World Bank, the crisis highlights the need for urgent action to cushion the pandemic's health and economic consequences 
protect vulnerable populations, and set the stage for a lasting recovery. For economic policymakers, the household is an empty vessel. Money goes in as forms of income. Money goes out mainly as taxes and consumption. This happens across millions of households and is aggregated up as the household sector, which must be in balance or equilibrium with the other parts of the macro economy. But more and more people are recognizing that, especially in the English-speaking world, the so-called Anglo-American economies, the U.S., the U.K., Canada, households are becoming increasingly unequal. Income and wealth inequality between the top 5% and the remaining 95% of households has been getting worse for decades and certainly will be amplified by the COVID-19 economic shockwave. Is the current response to COVID-19 likely to make inequality worse? Dr. Marika Beck is the Liverhume Early Career Fellow at King's College London. The response to COVID-19 so far is likely to make existing financial inequalities worse. Central banks have made unprecedented sums of money available to be pumped into the global financial markets. These monetary policies, called quantitative easing, are supposed to give incentives to banks to extend loans to corporations. These loans are set to help the economy to recover and, by extension, support households' economic income. While these measures have surely averted an even bigger financial meltdown, there's actually very little evidence that QE, or quantitative easing, would result in banks supporting the so-called real economy, and more importantly, the economic well-being of households. Importantly, quantitative easing does not benefit 95% of the households. Only the wealthiest of households benefit from asset-buying bailouts. At the same time, we've seen stagnating real wages during the past decade, And half of the global workforce risks job losses now because of the global pandemic, according to the United Nations Labour Agency. We have had a type of inequality here that is significantly worsened by the financial measures in response to COVID-19. There's really no sense in implementing the same package and expect a different result. It's clear that in order to create a sustainable recovery from COVID-19, Governments must approach economic policies differently. Dr. Jonna Montgomery. So unlike economic shocks caused by the crisis in financial markets, COVID-19 creates an economic shock caused by a deadly virus that's circulating in the human population, which is why its effects are felt most keenly by households. This means that an economic recovery from COVID-19 must start in the household. So to financially recover from COVID-19, Policymakers need to target households, not firms or markets, for support and investment. In practical terms, this means supporting household income and their care needs now. Then design plans to invest in households' financial stability and provide for their care responsibilities to promote a wider economic recovery from the shock of COVID-19 that will be felt for the years to come. How to Financially Recover from COVID-19 is a limited podcast series featuring leading experts from King's College, Bristol, and SOAS, who studied the household as a central and complex economic institution, the solution to our economic crisis caused by COVID-19, an innovative solution to bail out households, not banks. On our next podcast, our experts will explore what was ailing the household before COVID-19 
and will continue to be a financial challenge during and after the pandemic.